This podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today is part two and our final discussion with Sir Frank, who's been in the leather community for over 40 years and holds the title of Mr. L.A. Leather Bear 2015. If you missed part one, we speak thoroughly about his experiences coming into leather for the first time and how that path has led him to where he is today. So if you missed that, make sure to go back and have a listen. I also wanted to let our listeners know that this coming March 26th, I, along with eight other title holders, will be competing for the 2022 Los Angeles leather title. To find out more information on the LAL competition, I will have links in the description below. With all that said, let's sit back, relax, and get ready for some more leather talk. Frank, welcome back to the show. Hey there, how you doing? <laughs> good, good. Happy um, Friday. Oh. Happy Friday, yeah. Uh, listeners will get this weeks later, but um, I'm excited <laughs> to go to your pleasure pain night tomorrow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about your pleasure pain, actually, really quick. Okay. Because um, the first time I, I met you, at, or the first time I went to a pleasure pain night, that was the first my first time being flogged, and I actually won... This really cool, it hangs next to my bedside. I don't know what you would call it, but it's some kind of like cartoony art oh, yeah. of like two men on a mattress sucking each other's dicks. I mean, this will be up for tomorrow. Okay, yes. Whoever that artist is, it's the it's same. It's my artist. husband. Oh, it's your husband. Okay. My husband has all our pictures for all our events. Mm. That's awesome. Okay, I'm going to have to put a link to some images of, of your husband's art. So if you want any of Sir Frank's husband's art, go to Pleasure Pain because they have silent auctions there. All right. <laughs> so the reason why we started Pleasure and Pain, it was back in 2015 when I won my title of Mr. L.A. Leather Bear. And it was a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And we thought about it, you know, I want to be flogged for the first time. And I meet this guy at a bar and I don't know who he is. And he takes me back to his house and he ties me up, beats me, flogs me and, you know, keeps me there against my will. But with pleasure and pain, it is a safe area. So if you've never been flogged or if you never had hot wax or needle play or electro, it's an area where it's safe and you don't have to worry about someone doing something that you don't want to do. Right. And you don't have to do it. So back then, it was an event for my charities I was doing. Now it's a, we do it as a, a company, THR Production, which means trust, honor, and respect the leather code. So we do it, and people come, you know, straight people, binary, you name it, they're there. And a lot of them have not tried not tried it before so it to them it's all new Mm -hmm. 
And for those who haven't tried it, I had a story where a man came with his girlfriend and they tried the hot wax and she loved it. And next minute he asked me where I bought it. He put a bit on the wax thing, but he went out and bought the wax. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So it's, you know, it's fun and people enjoy it. Yeah, it sounds like a, a, a nice way to get yourself introduced and have a sexy time and maybe learn some things that you didn't know about yourself before. Well, I have to say, even for myself, I mean, when um, I played with wax before once, and now that I do the hot wax, it's kind of funny because people are crazy. They want to take their shirts off and do it down their back, do it in their ass crack. And I tell them you could do it any way you want, but you know it's going to hurt different areas in the candle. Yeah, I remember I tried wax actually as well at Pleasure Pain Night. This was years ago now, maybe back in like 2017, I think. And there was someone there doing wax, and my one of my girlfriends was with me, and she wanted to try like all of the stuff. I'm not good with um, what is that? The, the electrocuting oh, electrodes, yeah, electrodes or like heat or any of that so as soon as they put the wax on me i screamed <laughs> probably was me doing it no it wasn't you it was somebody else and then um scraping it off with like a, a knife I remember. oh i know who it was it was pixie mary it was mary yeah okay that's who it was and i was just like flipping out <laughs> like yeah good times <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah it's fun well, let's um, recap a little bit for those listeners just tuning in to your part two. So, Frank, you have been a part of the community for how many years now? Over 40 years. Over 40 years. And you and I are both Catholic boys. Right. But you you actually went to the seminary and you decided, I guess, towards the end of your seminarian years before you're going to be ordained and all of that, that you wanted to leave the priesthood. Could you just touch a little bit about... Again, like, what went through your head? What was the deciding factor for you that this was not the path you wanted to go down anymore? Well, it was really something I've always wanted to be a priest. I was religious growing up. And it was right before I would have been ordained, a friend of mine who was a priest, 76-year-old priest, our rector who was in charge of the seminary, in charge of our order, said to him he could go home and live with his family. And he turned around and said, I've been with the community for over 50 years. This is my family. Mm. And I realized they didn't want to take care of him anymore. Yeah. Because he wasn't able to, you know, do things. And that made me decide what happens if I was a priest for 50 years and then they turn around and say, go home to your family. And I said, I wasn't going to do that. I mean, during my time of study, we they traveled, we traveled to different areas. One month they would say, we're moving to Canada for schooling. Then mm-hmm. they said Canadians didn't want us, we moved to Chicago. So we it was kind of a, a crazy thing. And the unknown of what my life would be later on. And I really decided that I had to leave. And I knew I was going to leave. And I, you know, I called my parents up, which they never wanted me to be a priest and said I was coming home. And they said, yeah, you'll be home next week. I said, no, I'm coming home tomorrow. Oh, actually, no, I said, I'm coming home today. And they went, what? I said, I'm leaving. And my mother said, good. <laughs> That's <laughs> such like, an oh, opposite okay. reaction, too, because I feel like a lot of families, it's like this big 
oh my gosh, my son's going to be a priest. Like, I know. And she was not that way. She said, good. She said, I said, my cousin was picking me up and he picked me up on a motorcycle and I left with my robe on and my other cousin, his wife, which was my cousin, packed my stuff and put it in her car. But I, <laughs> Wait a know, second. I'm just trying to get the visual. So you have your robe on? Yeah, my robe on. On the back of a motorcycle. Right. And I do that on purpose. Why is that? Because I want to, like, say, fuck you. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> I just have yeah. this image of you, like, riding off into the sunset, your robe flowing in the wind on the back of a motorcycle. <laughs> and then, like, across the hill, there's, like, you know, like, leather and whips and chains waiting for you <laughs> on the other side. Yeah. And, you know, so it was it was good. I, I needed to leave. Um and I have to say, it didn't change my beliefs. I worked in a Catholic school. I was a Catholic school principal. I, was, I worked in a Catholic school for 32 years, more than one school. But it was just basically, it was my religion, my belief. I was mm-hmm. still uh, able to give communion now and do things. I still am. I just don't practice doing that. Um, it was just, you know. It was time for me to leave. It was time for me to do other things. Being a teacher, I taught at one school for 19 years. And there was kids bringing their kids to school, their sons and daughters that I taught them. Wow. And it was funny. One lady, I, one girl, you know, when she brought her little boy to school. And she said, this was mommy's teacher. And he was also daddy's teacher. So he's like your grandpa. Oh. And it was like, you know, and it was like funny because it was one generation and then now another generation. Yeah. So that was interesting. And then being in a principal for nine years, a lot of things happened. Yes, I was closeted. I didn't come out because I didn't want that to affect my school. Um, although we did have a situation. I remember this was the first time. And when I became a principal, the school I became a principal to was a battle zone. They did not want the former principal to leave. Hmm. And it didn't make a difference who took her place was not going to be perfect. Right. And I remember this couple came in, two guys, because we were registering in school, and they said to us, we like to register our child. We tried a few times in the past, but the principal wouldn't let us. And I'm like, well, why? And they said, and he said, we're gay. I said, so? I said, uh, do you have money? <laughs> uh, you know, I said, if you could afford the tuition, I don't care if you're gay, straight, or anything. I And I couldn't say I was gay. Yeah. But yeah. it was like, you know, as long as you're paying your tuition and as long as you respect the rules of the school like any other parent would have to. Yeah. I said, I wouldn't expect you kissing in the schoolyard because I wouldn't want a heterosexual parents kissing in the schoolyard. Right. I said, so, you know, I don't care as long as you're able to pay the tuition and your child obeys the rules. Then welcome to St. You know, oh, (laughs) welcome to the school. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just going to ask you about because so, I mean, that's that's incredible because now they had the opportunity to be a part of the school that they wanted their child to be a part of because now, you know, they had someone kind of in the family. But when I was in. my late teens through some of my 20s, mm-hmm. I went on tour with this group 
that will remain nameless for now. Um, but a church, Sorry. I don't want to say church, but it was like a missionary group. And it was really amazing. I made some great people and basically it was an orchestra. We traveled mm. all over the world and, you know, we, we did missionary work with our music and we prayed with people and we talked with people. We lived in people's homes. Um, we went to like Haiti, um, twice, Colombia, Portugal, Spain, all these countries. It was incredible. Yet there was like this kind of culture of like legitimate homophobia. You're like when people say the homophobia today, I, I, th- I feel like it's get tossed around a lot. And it, yeah. But legit people legitimately on that tour bus afraid of being around homosexuals. Right. And when it came out that I was gay, mm-hmm. it was. I remember the leader saying, like, well, from now on, we're going to have to ask um, people when they come to audition to be a part of this group if they're gay or not. And the leader, like the founder, said, no, this is not a witch hunt. He said, I don't want people kissing in the back of the bus, whether they're gay or straight. Like, that's a distraction to what we're doing. Right. Like, I think people just need to, you know, chill relax like nobody's going to be fucking on the school grounds and if they are like it doesn't matter if they're gay or straight like they're not supposed right. to be there exactly no you're you're 100 right i mean because you know what i do in my bedroom i might not do in a schoolyard i know i wouldn't do it in yeah. school. and you know i think that's something that people have to you know understand and realize and i you know for me my school was very close to a leather bar, and my secretary lived behind this leather bar. So you had to re- imagine me feeling, okay, if I'm going to wear my full leather out to the bar, what happens if one of my parents see me? What happens right. if my secretary sees me? And it became a thing that I used Palm Springs as my weekend getaway. So for maybe the first couple of years, I would go to Palm Springs so no one would know me. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, this is crazy. You know, people are not stupid. The ones I work with, you know, especially when my at that time partner would call my school up every day to speak to me. I mean, come on, you know, or if I was sick, you know, he would call and tell them. So it's kind of like um, a don't ask, don't tell situation. Right. And. I will have to say when I retired, it was nice. It was good that I would be out free and do what I want and didn't have to worry. Although I remember one instance, I was at this bar and one of the parishioners came in and he saw me and I saw him when we were walking outside the bar. And in the past, I would turn around, go in my car, Hmm. but we both were at the door. I mean, you couldn't. At this point, it's. And he looked at me, I looked at him, and I said, so we both know it, so let's just forget about it. Yeah. And he was fine, and I didn't feel threatened about that at all. Now, some people would look at your situation and th- today, and I'm just saying that I'm not, I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate, advocate because I also work in education, mm-hmm. um, and it's an interesting juggle to figure out how to balance, like, your everyday life with you know, the rest of who you are, like you're a whole person, you're multifaceted. Some people might look at your lifestyle back at that time and say, well, you're ashamed of your leather, you're ashamed of your homosexuality. And so you're trying to draw these walls in between. What's your response to somebody who looks at it from that perspective? I was never 
I was never ashamed of my sexuality or my leather life. What I also felt was what I do in my bedroom is my business. And if that means leather or whatever, I could do it in my bedroom. I did go out in leather eventually. There was a couple of bars I used to go here locally. And it wasn't that I was uncomfortable. I just didn't want to flaunt it. And I was a very private person. Anyhow, no one knew I was, no one knew I studied to be a priest. And when I tell people, they look at me and go, holy shit, really? And I go, yeah. So, um, you know, you know, it's weird. I know I never would uh, say that I did not want people. I was very proud of being a gay man. I just couldn't, you know, flaunt it. And I was okay with that. I mean, my thought is, is that if one of your parents saw you strutting down to the bar with your full leather, you know, maybe they would care, maybe they wouldn't. But if if they did care, it would act as a distraction to your role. Well, here's the situation when I was a teacher. I was at a local bar in the Valley and it's no longer there. So I could probably say the lounge (laughs) Well whatever, I don't even remember. And I met this hot-looking man, and he told me he was staying at a motel, so we went back and we played. And then about three or four days later, it was parent-teacher conference. Uh-huh. And it so happened that um, this appointment I had for a parent to come in, a couple came in, and I didn't see the gentleman, but I saw the, the woman, and she worked in the school as our librarian at that time. And she said, oh, Mr. Cavallo, this is my husband. I'm going to go to the other kid's appointment, and I will um, see you tomorrow at work. And the husband looked at me. I looked at the husband, and he went, you're not going to tell my wife. And I said, and you're not going to tell them about me either. And mm. that was the guy I played in the motel with. Mm. Wow. No, his wife thought he was out of town. Oh, Ironically, four days after that, him and his wife decided to move out of state. Because huh. he was really scared that something might happen. Right. So that was, you know, a situation that I thought was kind of strange. I remember uh, another situation. <laughs> I was a teacher and I taught first grade. And then I taught eighth grade, and one student was in my first grade class, and then he was in my eighth grade class. And we were at the fault line, and I was there in leather, and this young kid, never go out with young people, but he was at least 22 years old or something, and he kept flirting with me, flirting with me, calling me daddy, and said, you know, I would love to for us to play and the kid was a cute kid. He actually reminded me of you sometimes, <laughs> but he was taller. You're talking and like a, like, when you say kid, you're thinking like 22 or something yeah, like that? Yeah, well, <laughs> When remember, people call I'm, me kid, I'm going to be 30. I'm like, when am I stop going to be I'm a kid? 63. I'm double your age. And <laughs> I guess. you go back to his um, apartment near UCLA. And, you know, we start playing. I start getting a little rough with him. And I throw him on the bed, and I look to the right of his bed, and I saw a picture of him in graduation of eighth grade with me next to him. And I was, <gasps> Holy shit. No. I said, Davey, 
And he went, yes, and continue doing what you're doing. We're both consenting adults. Oh, my God. I remember that. That was... <laughs> now, did that add to the thrill, or did that freak you out? <laughs> Actually, it was kind of freaking me out. I mean, we did do... We finished... We didn't do more than what I thought I was going to do. Right. <laughs> flogged him, tied him up a little bit. And he was a little brat. So, I mean, it was kind of funny. I bet you you taught his father, too. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, no. So what changed for you once you retired? I mean, did anything really change for you after you retired, the way you navigated that space? The only thing after I retired, I didn't feel I had to look both ways going out. Mm-hmm. I don't care if a form of, of a parent saw me anymore because I don't have to answer to them. I was retired. I was free. Yeah. Um, so that is maybe what might have done it. Um, I wasn't concerned of being looked down on mm-hmm. or, and I don't know why I would even say, uh, I don't know why I would say worry about it, but, um, but it was something that was on your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever have a situation where students would come out to you as homosexual? Well, yeah, he didn't really come out to me, but he did tell me, it was that he was in school and he wasn't in his uniform. Mm-hmm. And being a Catholic school, you wear a uniform. Right. And um, said his dad made tell him to leave the house because he found some books or something, magazine, I think, of men. And the father said, my son's no faggots living with us. Wow. And this was right before the time I was going to be leaving. And it was like, I said to my secretary, call him up, tell him to come into this office in 10 minutes or I'm calling the police for child abuse. Wow. And he did come in and, you know, he was telling me, uh, I should bring his uniform and they brought the uniform and he was telling me my son's going to die of AIDS. What is he going to do? He's going to be nothing. Who's going to want him? You know, he's not going to be educated because he'll probably just have sex with anyone. And it really bothered me, and it made me make my decision. And I said to him, so tell me about me. Who am I? Well, you're Mr. Caballo. Yeah, and um, what do I do for a living? Well, you're a school principal. I said, yeah, I'm a school principal. I said, am I educated? He said, yeah, you're educated. You have two masters. I said, so fine. Am I sick? Not that I know of. So I said, well, I'm gay. Wow. And he looked at me and I said, so you're answering your questions, everything you were concerned about, but it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. And, you know, then the boy graduated and he graduated high school and I went to his valedictorian and I remember saying to the parent, I said to them, says, oh, he did graduate valedictorian. He must not be dumb. And yeah, so that was one of the things. I mean, that's a big, that was a big risk you took. Yeah, it was. Was that the first time you had like come out to a parent like that? Yeah, it was. It was kind of a weird thing, but you know, and it was really, he never reacted after what I said to him. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. And sometimes it takes that live by example for people to like understand what gay is. Cause before, you know, 
maybe it's they they don't know any gay people. Oh yeah, because I remember years ago when I first started teaching, and in the AIDS we had we were told that we had to teach about AIDS, and I remember this one lady. And said, oh, well, I don't go to the grocery store anymore because I don't want to touch the fruit and get AIDS. And I'm like, Ugh. I said, no, it, does, it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's always a discussion about the other, like, uh, what, what do they call that? The others? Yeah. All those people over there until someone in your life immediately, like, you're like, oh, they're gay. It's no longer like a perspective from an outsider's view. Yeah. And uh, it's funny that you say the thing about the fruit or whatever, because I remember my grandmother um, sent me a, you know how you get those, those spam chain mail, Facebook posts or whatever that are just like fake stuff. Well, there was a image of a banana Mm -hmm. and there was like red food coloring that was like injected into the banana. And she's like, Oh, Brandon, um, be careful because people are going into grocery stores and injecting fruits with HIV positive blood. (laughs) And she's like, please be careful. And I said, Grandma, um, like, I'm pretty sure the virus dies once it leaves the body after a number of, you know, seconds or minutes. I don't think it can survive inside a banana. Um, Keep eating your fruits and vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, I, people who don't know, they think of all the different things. Yeah. So let's talk about your lifestyle today. Well, I'm married. Uh, my husband is not in the leather community. He was years ago. He was a biker. But he, you know, and I hate the word allows, but he allows me, he never stopped me from being who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, his famous line is, I've done this all already. You go have fun. Because he was freer than I was. You know, yeah. 32 years of working, you have to be a little bit careful. So um, he knows I have a leather family, which consists of about four or five boys. One in London, one in South Africa, a couple back east, and two in California. Mm-hmm. He doesn't involve himself with them. Although one person, he, you know, does come to my house all the time and, you know, and has dinner with us and helps me when I need help and all that. And that's my business partner and my slash boy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, we try to meet once a year, the ones who live far. Uh, haven't met the South Africa, but I've known him the longest, but haven't met him yet personally. But I know people who have it, you know. So things like that are great. We, um, you know, they, it's not all sexual. And I, mm-hmm. I tell that to people because I don't want people to think, oh, well, everything you do is sexual. Uh, the family will come to me if they have need advice, mm-hmm. if they, something troubling them. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It is also sex. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> giving, you know, they check in with me daily, and um, you know, it's just—it's more. I'm the head of them. There is an alpha, and mm-hmm. the one who is, I would say, second in command would be Scott. Uh, you know, he's been with me 
in person for the longest during my title year and all that. But there's different, you know, extras. Different people have different feelings. A couple call me dad. Some call me sir. Some call me papa. Mm-hmm. Uh, master. So it's just all different ways. And, you know, and I tell them you don't have to get along with each other, but you should respect each other. You know, yes, ideal world would be great if they all love each other and all, hum, but that's not going to happen in any situation. <laughs> so there's, you're not just having like huge orgies every weekend. With no. All of- <laughs> it's kidding. No, 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 we're not like you. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> As he blushes so- people. <laughs> so would you consider yourself polyamorous or open relationship or how, how do you define that? With my husband? I mean, if like if you're you if you have sexual relationships, right, in your leather lifestyle, do, does that does your you and your husband consider yourselves open at that point, or is that just like a separate? It's a separate world. Okay. What I do outside rule we do have a rule is that when I'm in LA, I'm home every night. I don't mm-hmm. go to anyone's house to sleep over. Okay. Um, if I'm going to be late. Give him a holler and tell him I'm going to be late. That he won't, you know, he's older than I am and he's not in good health. So I wouldn't. And this happened to me once from the bullet. <laughs> uh, went out to eat after the bar closed and I said goodnight to him earlier. And he woke up. It was three o'clock and I wasn't home, hmm. but my phone died and I left it in a car charging. And he called 20 something times because hmm. he was concerned. Yeah. And finally, when I got home, he waited up for me. I called him. I said, what happened? He went, well, I've been calling you. You're not home. I said, I know. So-and-so invited me out to eat. And, you know, he was cool with that. He says, oh, I don't care, but I just got scared. So one of my rules is if I'm going to go out after eat with someone from the bar, I just text him. So if he sees I'm not home, he doesn't freak out. Right. And it's common courtesy. Because, I mean, he's your husband and he, he cares right. for you. And, I mean, there's all those stories of people going out and meeting the wrong person. And Oh, I mean, I know a perfect story with my mentor. We talked about him last time. But with my mentor, he had a boy. And I remember the boy asking him, oh, I'm going to go play with this guy this weekend. And the mentor told him no, because I don't know him. Or know of him and they even asked me if i knew of him and i said no i don't know him and wind up that he played anyhow and he had the guy come to his house and the post office worker who always he always leaves a bottle of water outside for her for three days did not leave a bottle of water and did not tell him that he was going away so he contact she contacted my mentor at that time and said you know David's not answering the phone. I mean, he's not answering the door. We're not giving us water. Um, Concerned. So we went there and we found David in the basement in the dungeon tied up. And the guy robbed him, robbed his house. And he was semi-coma. And so, you know, the thing is at the end, okay, I screwed up. But now my sir is going to get pissed at me because I went behind his back. Oh, gosh. So, and that's something which I tell my boys too. If you want to play and this is different because years ago I would say no, you don't mm-hmm. play. But I tell them if you want to play, I understand, but I want to know where you're going. Right. 
And if possible, a number, because if I don't hear from you by one o'clock when you always before that usually go to bed, I'm going to come after or I'm going to send someone after you. And I think that's a rule. Personally, that's a rule I live by. I mean, and that just shows how much you care. It's not just about sex. It's about taking care of each other. It's about family. A lot of my play does not have to do with sex, even Mm -hmm. though people might see bondage as sex. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's not. It's an added plus when it happens. But I mean, it's not, oh, I have to have sex to have fun. Right. Turning someone up, flogging someone. You know, having someone in who I control and submit to me can be just as much as sex and anything else. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, nowadays, we have, you know, smartphones and everything. Yeah. My, hus- my husband, like, knows where I'm at all the time. So he'll, like, message me. You know, if it's like midnight or something, because he gets off of work around then, and he'll be like, I see you're being a slut. I know where you're at. <laughs> Does it tell him when you're kneeling on the floor in the bar? <laughs> no. He, he assumes. He knows. Oh, he just assumes that where you are, then he knows what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. I should talk to him. Yeah. Right. Oh, my gosh. But Child, um... if these walls could talk about Brandon. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, So let's talk about kinks, because I think that is a big misconception with people who maybe are are not, you know, into kink or just exploring it, that has to result in sex. And I'll share a quick little story before we get into it. Um, So there was one weekend where I was actually finishing up on antibiotics. It was like my last day or something. And you're supposed to, like, wait until the last day. And I was like, well, I'm not going to take any chances. So... I was um, vibing with this daddy um, that I knew from before he happened to be there. And I told him, hey, like, look, it's like my last day of antibiotics. Maybe we should, like, play it safe kind of thing. And it turned into, he's like, well, do you, are you into spanking? I'm like, yeah, I like spanking. Like, who doesn't like spanking? Like, that's like asking me if I like chocolate cake. Of course, like, I'll take a slice. But it turned into an hour, like an hour and a half session Mm-hmm. where he was riding my thresholds and backing down and coming back up. And it was like this whole wave of just sensation and experience and mind fucking. And it was so incredible. And we never had sex. There was no fluids yeah. exchanged. And like that to me is what kink can do. Like it puts you on a different level. Right. And I agree with you on that. I mean, it could be a lot more sexual mm-hmm. spanking a boy or flogging. Especially when I flog, I like to flog in a different way. I I like to have a bucket of ice next to me. Um, I uh, go very uh, rub my flogger on you, very sexual, mm. and you know even have you kiss it a little bit, rub it around your face, and then I start flogging you a little bit, very light and a little harder. Then I rub my hands up and down your back. Then I'll fog you some more. I get it a little red. Then I get the ice cubes and rub it down your back. Then I'll flog you some more. So I'm taking you to all different plateaus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember having flogging someone and he shot his load. And it was at another bar that is no longer in open. And a friend of mine said, I know who it was because I heard him coming. Yeah, he did come when I was flogging him, and he wasn't even touching himself because he had his hands up. 
Wow. <laughs> so I think, you know, that could be a very sexual thing. When I remember, um, once again, I don't remember how I started flogging, but a good friend of mine is a priest, and I still think he's a priest. Uh, but he took, we went to Palm Springs together, and he wanted to see if I was happy in my life. And he knew I was getting into leather, and he said to me, you know, do whatever you want. Just don't worry about me. I just want to make sure you're happy. And I was like, okay, it's like a daddy. Okay, you want to make sure I'm happy, fine. So uh, I was on stage flogging someone. And then after we got finished, I got finished flogging, he brought me a drink and said, so tell me, where did you run all this? And I remember saying, Pat, I don't know. <laughs> the Catholic Church. <laughs> and he turned around and said, seminary when we had to self-flog ourselves for our sins and i went holy shit you're right wow and then i said hmm i said yeah that's not you know that sounds logical well because you you it's like you know what it feels like on your back so you Mm -hmm. kind of have an idea of where you're going yeah with someone else that's interesting did you have you discovered since then like any other elements of being in seminary or in the Catholic Church that kind of have translated to your leather life? Well, being in control. Mm. I mean, that's yeah. that's one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> being in control, um, dominant. I think you know, um, I could be very, very passionate, mm-hmm. and I, I know people say, "Well, if you're dominant, you can't be passionate." I could be very passionate, romantic, and I could be very dominant. And I could be a motherfucker, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, if my boys get me pissed off, the one word answers come out. Yeah. And they know. And they go, did I do something wrong? Or well, why would you even think that? Hmm. Did you? And then they start thinking. And that's always a joke. Because, well, you're giving me these one word answers. Or you're not answering like you usually do right away. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I might be busy. Oh, my gosh. I would feel like I'm in the confessional booth with, with Father Frank. <laughs> I mean, especially, you know, one of the things is if I'm silent for a long time, then mm. you know something's wrong. And then you have to figure out what the hell did you do? Because I know one guy, this was years ago, I didn't talk to him for three days. Mm-hmm. And he kept respond, writing to me, sir, are you okay? What's going on? I haven't heard from you. Kept quiet, kept quiet. But I found out from someone that he played with someone mm. and never told me. So after three days, he he called me and said, I don't, I know I don't usually call you, but you're being very quiet on me. I said, well, why don't you go ask Steve what you did? Because I knew the guy he played with. Yeah. And it was like a joke. He went, oh. I said, next time you don't hear from me at all. (laughs) But it's interesting you say that because, like, that you connected the flogging and even, like, you know, the the dominance and elements of discipline. All of those things I kind of think, how do I put this? There's something different about the way that, let's say, like, you know, other Christian or Protestant churches have the perspective of who God is and and their mentality towards God versus how Catholicism, I think in Catholicism, and I'm not saying this doesn't exist in other churches. I just mean like the overall attitude towards like our idea of who God is. Like we grew up with a certain reverence and fear of God. 
And that's something that's brought up a lot in the Catholic Church is like this right. this fear of God and like your head is down and you have this reverence and respect and silence and there's this beauty to the silence, but also like um, a torture, a torture to it. And I think that's like why, at least for me, like I've discovered so many things that I click into and maybe that's because of my Catholic upbringing. I mean... I don't know. Well, you know, I, I know an incident. I was in Palm Springs with a boy um, for a couple of days, and he was going there for an event, but he stayed with me for a couple of days. And we went to a bar, and he was like a little Miss Social butterfly. Mm-hmm. And he was all over this one person. And I pretty much just got up and walked away and went outside and smoked. And about 10, 15 minutes later, he said, well, you're going to come in and have a drink with us? I said, no. I said, go back and talk to them since you obviously don't want to be with me when you're supposed to be with me. Uh-huh. And the idiot had to, I mean, if someone would have told me, yeah, go back and drink, I would have said, hell no, I stay with you. But uh-huh. the idiot had to think about this for a few minutes. And, and he was really torn. And he said, well, I'll be right back. And he told the guys to come out and come out and stay next to me. Oh, I see. Okay. And that was even a joke because then I went back into the bar. Oh. And I said, stay with them. Oh, gosh. And I didn't talk to him for the rest of the night until we went back to the motel. And what was the message? Uh, if you're with someone, you, you show... Especially for me, when I'm with a boy, the boy better be attentive to me. Mm-hmm. Not meaning he has to buy me my drink, but he has to go get me a drink. Not meaning he has to be, you know, oh, well, on the floor, on the knees. No, but he better make sure I'm okay and I have what I need. Got it. So you're held at a priority. Right. Yeah, I tell them, you know, I tell my boys, I understand you work. That comes number one. Number two is your family. And then me. You know, if you have a family and you don't work, then your family's number one. You know, right. and that could be husband, you know, spouse, in-laws, moms, all that. I learned from the past that your family is very important. And there was a time with my first relationship in California, I let everything be on this one person. Hmm. And then my family. And then when we broke up, I realized how stupid, you know. My family's always going to be there. So why do I put someone in front of them? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, a key thing, too. You know, I tell my boys, if you work your job because you need the money to take care of yourself and me, if you, and your family comes next, like, I'm not going to cry if you can't be with me for Christmas because you're going to your family house. Mm-hmm. Because you care about them and you want them to, you right. know. And even when I break off with them. It's still a caring thing. I had a boy, and he's local. We ended our relationship. And it's still, you know, I tell him, if you're going to play with someone you're not sure, let me know. Mm-hmm. It seems like you kind of mentioned last episode that you have, have you been a, you have been a sub in the past. Besides, only for my mentor. Okay, only for your mentor who gave you your first piece of leather. Right. So you consider yourself to be more of a dom is what I'm getting from your stories. Right. What do you think makes a good dom? What are some virtues, some characteristics of a good dom? Well, 
for me, it's a caring of your sub. Mm-hmm. And how it, this is almost like a contradiction. Not to hurt your sub, because I don't think you should ever hurt someone that they're really damaged. Mm-hmm. I believe the pleasure of the pain is different than hurting. And so I think that, you know, you know, be there for them, listen to them, you know, be understanding, but set your rules. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're not right all the time. And even when I'm wrong, I'll say, okay, I'm not right this time, but I'm never wrong. I never, I would never own up that I'm wrong. So I can just say, well, (laughs) maybe your idea is better, but I'm not wrong. Okay, okay, I get that. Yeah, yeah, maybe your idea might be a little bit better than how I wanted to do it, but I'm not wrong. Even though we would turn around and do your idea because it's really right, but, you know, I'm not wrong. Um, you know, and I think, you know, that's the key thing. You know, you have to be a do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the Treat people the way you want to be treated. Well, I think some people might be looking at that statement and thinking, but you're beating each other up, <laughs> like whipping them and spanking but them. It, and... But for them, it's pleasure. Mm-hmm. Just as much as it's pleasure for the person who's doing it, it's pleasure to see their reaction. Yeah, I mean, and even if you see someone crying, you know, you, if you have a connection with that person and you know if he's crying because he's really happy mm-hmm. or if he's crying because you're really hurting him, it, there's all ground rules, I believe. And, you know, and people have different philosophies. People have different beliefs. Um, you know, I'm there to have fun. I mean, I have to be honest. I am looked upon in the community. People respect me. I mean, I, my husband laughs. He goes, I love you sit at this one spot in the bullet and everyone who goes by the door says hello to you or even buys you a drink. And I'm like, yeah. I said, but Brandon hasn't bought me a drink yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's going on record, you guys. The shame. It's just going on record, everyone. He's cheap. No, oh no drink, no shirts, no nothing. <laughs> Just work me for my well, voice. <laughs> well, the next time I see you, your first drink's on me. <laughs> Everyone, listen to what he said. If he's not getting pregnant. If I'm not getting pregnant already, then I'll be there. <laughs> uh, so what are your what are some of your thoughts on navigating the balance with your subs? Is it individual or do you have sort of like, how do I put it? Everyone like, is, together. Is, yeah, I mean, like, do you have sort of a manual in your brain of, like, this is where I would like to take a sub and either it clicks or it doesn't? Or is every single sub that you have a relationship with, like, a new dynamic, new rules? It's a new dynamic because, like, not everyone smokes cigars. But then there is a sub who loves to smell a cigar and loves to be your ashtray. But he doesn't smoke. Okay. Um, you know, we try to meet most of them at smoke out once a year but not everyone goes and you know just you know it's everyone has a different way you might like being pissed and pregnated where someone might want to be burned with a cigar mm-hmm. or have ashes on their bodies or have their hair shaved someone might want to you know 
only play around with condoms. You have to, you know, it's really everyone, I think all relationships are 2-1, even though I'm in charge, I have to listen to the sub. Because if the sub's not happy and satisfied, guess what? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be happy and satisfied. Exactly. I'm not going to have, you know, my the way. You know, if it's, yeah, it's about me, but still has to be a mutual about everyone. Right. I recently started, because um, I don't know if I mentioned this already in our episode together, but I, I consider myself a switch. I, I think right. I lean more to the sub side, but I have had Dom relationship right. where I am the Dom. But what's interesting is, how do I describe it? I mean, my idea of being a Dom is, might be different than yours. I don't know. But my thought is, is that I'm the leader, but you hold the compass. Yeah. So... When I'm looking for the direction, I will look at you for that direction. Ultimately, it's my decision whether mm-hmm. or not we go down that path because I'm seeing the big picture. And right mm-hmm. now you're in a headspace of being a sub and the blinders are kind of on. So I choose to lead the f- path overall. But I'm not going to like if I discover that, I don't know, being written dirty words on your chest with the permanent marker is not your thing. We're not going to go down that path because that's not going to get you off. It's not going to get me off. Right. And see, I think that's the key thing. And what you, what you just said is the key thing, because I believe that if the sub is not enjoying it, mm-hmm. even though you might be enjoying it, it's not a connection. And I, and you know, one of the things when I flog, I look at the person's face mm-hmm. and I remember this one guy I flogged, he zoned out and he hmm. was his happy. And I looked at his face a couple of times and I wasn't getting a reaction. So I stopped and went, Oh, no, no, don't stop. I said, Oh, well, you don't look like you're in. He said, Oh, I was in another world. Hmm. And so I think that's a key thing. And, you know, I don't, would never say I'm submissive because I would never be submissive. Doesn't mean that I would not listen to someone. Okay. And I know this happened at a bar in LA where a good friend of mine who's a dominant top, a dominant master. Uh-huh. And his sub is the top. Oh, wait, hold on. You mean right. like the, yeah. the penetrator or the Yeah, the penetrator. Oh, I I see. Okay. And I remember they were at the bar and we were smoking, me and him, and the sub kept saying, Sir, are you ready to go home? And he went, no, not yet. He says, now he said, and I turned my head, but he didn't think I heard him. He says, I can't wait to get your ass. I want to fuck you so hard. And I turned around and he went, do you hear what he just said? I said, yep. I How said, interesting. He says, oh. I said, what's the problem? You're still in control. I don't care if you're a bottom of the bed. He's still your slave. He still does what you want. It's just that you enjoy getting fucked, and that's what he likes to do. Yeah, and you're I bet using. When, I bet you're the one using happy. his dick. <laughs> when you're not happy. Yeah, he doesn't get your ass. Oh, you went, yeah, you're right. I said. So what's the difference? It doesn't mean, have to mean that you have to be a top to be a sir. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I have a friend. He's not kinky at all, and he's going to remain nameless, but. He experienced this kind of thing on accident. He's definitely mm-hmm. not a Tom or a top or anything, but he told me a story once how um, he was top or he was bottoming for this guy. And like 
partway through, he goes, I'm going to, the, the top is fucking him. And he says, oh, I'm going to come. I'm going to come. I'm really close. And then my friend goes, um, no, don't come yet. Because, like, I'm not ready, right? He was just like, no, don't come yet. And he goes, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then he's like, wait a second. Did he just call me sir? And then he goes, he's like, uh, can I take a break, sir? And he's like, no, you keep fucking and don't you dare come. And he's like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it turned into this like bottom top dynamic. Oh, yeah. thing. <laughs> and I've never heard of that until then. And he was so surprised because it he kind of stumbled into that place with him. But it, it's an interesting concept to mm-hmm. consider. Yeah. And for some people, that's a total shock. Yeah. So I'd like to to pivot a little bit before we wrap up here. We mentioned before that you've been a part of the leather scene community, what have you, for what, about 40 years now. Yeah. What would you say are just like a few key things that stick out to you, some things that may have changed that maybe you wish haven't changed, or maybe some things that have changed that you're glad have changed? And are, is there anything that well, you'd like to come back from the past? I mean... Uh-huh. Well, in the beginning, I would say the leather community was a very inclusive group. It wasn't you know, very inclusive? It was inclusive. It was okay. basically one type of image. Even for myself, I was not pretty much accepted in the beginning because of my weight. Um, then I noticed they did change over the years. I mean, the community is learning and growing. More people are coming into a more different Fetishes are happening. People are, you know, you now have the trans in the leather community. You have all the, you know, even the, our female sisters, the lesbians, they're in it. You know, it's more and more welcoming. We still have our separateness. And I believe there should be some separateness. Okay. You know, I'm not saying we all have to be inclusive all the time, but we do need to feel it. I mean, during my title year, I had a leather sister. You know, mm-hmm. she came to all of my events and was welcome. You know, for some men, oh, we don't do that because, you know, we don't want females to be there. I think it's just basically the person and what you believe in. So I believe that the community is growing. It's going to take a while that we all accept it. You know, old men sometimes don't like changes. You know, um, I have a pet peeve, or we mentioned that about the harness, wearing it outside your shirt. You know, back in my days, you would never do that, you mm-hmm. know. But I think what I'm hoping is the younger community is willing to learn from the older community. And also the older community is willing to learn what the younger community believe in. Mm. Because we should all be one community, you know. We need to open up and accept the changes. We might not like the changes, but the changes are going to happen. Just don't force a change on someone. And I think that's the key thing. Don't force the changes on people. Let them learn. You know. And I can go back to the church. When they changed Latin to English, it's a, a period of adjustment. Right. And I think we need we should be in this period of adjustment. I mean, the COVID took over a long period. You know, people got stuck not doing anything, staying home, being sick, dying. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to all be open to helping each other and 
training each other and teaching each other. Because you have ideas that I would never think of. And you talk, if you tell me an idea, I go, yeah, he's full of shit. Yeah, no, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So this is how I get pregnant in a bar. Okay. <laughs> you know. It comes full circle. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard from some older folk in the past that like sometimes we stray away from the energy, like the sexual energy right. of it all. And I mean, with the generation of COVID where we're, where we're at today, I think it really affected a lot of us being stuck at home. We didn't have the chance to be in those sexual situations. And I don't know if it's just me in my head, but I feel like sort of a rejuvenated energy when I'm going out lately of Mm -hmm. like people coming back into sexual energy like where do you think you see like the future of leather going from here after this time that we've been all stuck in the house for two years now or where would you like to see it go well hmm good point i would like us to be accepting more Mm -hmm. you know things are changing we have to go by go with the flow and if something's changing, even if we don't like it, we still need to listen and do it. I hate the word or word. This is how we always done it. Mm-hmm. Because if we keep doing things the way we always done it, it's going to be boring. Hmm. And, yeah. you know, even with events like, well, this is a leather uniform event only or a leather event only. Well, right there, you're excluding a lot of our community, hmm. not the leather community, the gay community. I see. Because if I was a pup, I might not have anything leather. Right. If okay. I was a boy, a, a true boy doesn't wear formal leather. Hmm. He wears his type of formal leather. So I think those things we need to open up. Okay. You know, yes, this is a leather event. And that's why I think sometimes when when Scott and myself, we do events, you know, especially Broke Bear Mountain, which is coming up. If you wear something country, you get a dollar off the emission. If you wear, you know, and, and even when we do some of the leather events, if you're in leather or some type of gear, you get a dollar off. I think, you know, because not everyone has gear. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's lucky to have killed cows like I have. <laughs> as my husband tells me i have a bunch about four or five cows in my closet over there uh-huh. and he always tells me you don't need to kill any more cows and i went bullshit <laughs> but you know i think that's something that people you know in the future we have to be a little bit more understanding yeah you know i would hate not to you know i would hate not to be able to go to an event because i don't have certain clothes right I think what a lot of, um, and it's it's interesting that you're sharing this perspective as someone who's older, because what I've heard from a lot of the majority of gay men of your age, well-seasoned, we won't say old, have expressed, like, maybe, I don't want to say a fear, but, like, a concern for the the scene of, of like, a leather space to be start to become diluted. Okay. You go to a leather bar, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to mention any bar name. Do you see everyone in leather? No. Do you see people in shorts? Yes. 
Do you see people with vests on? Yes. Do you see people in dresses? Yes. But it's still a leather bar. Mm-hmm. I mean, the days of 20 years ago where you would say you only can come into this bar if you're in full leather. And I know a bar back east, they changed that rule. It was like open to anyone. And then people would say, well, we want the old way. So they made a mandatory dress code that you have to have leather and a boot on. Hmm. Then they found out people weren't going. The young people weren't going. Yeah. And I hate to say the young people have more money than the older people. Because they use that plastic like water. (laughs) Well, the the output has changed and the input has it. You know, they came out with the lightning cable and you're still trying to use the eight pin connector or whatever. For any of you know that, you know, the iPod nanos. What is all that? <laughs> you know, and I, yeah. And I'm not going to stop. There's days where I will say, yeah, I am. Trust me, I have full leather. <laughs> I have red, black, green, yellow leather. There's days I don't want to wear it. Like, I, if there's days when I go to the bullet bar and my husband goes, are you going like this? You're not in leather? And I, there was a guy in the bullet bar who I know quite well. Mm-hmm. He walked by me three times the last time I was there. And then finally I said, hello, how are you doing? He went, he looked at me like I was crazy. And he went, Frank? <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, you're not in leather. I said, I know. I'm I'm wearing my civvies. <laughs> because sometimes, I, yeah. you know, I love my leather. Trust me. But sometimes I want to be just, you know, I don't need to be Sir Frank all the time. Hmm. So I think we need to be understanding of everyone and accept it. Uh I'm not saying don't change a leather event and just say it's an event. But be a little bit more understanding. Right. Because years ago, there was an event where a pup came and was told he could not go into the event because he wasn't in leather. Hmm. And the guy tried to explain, I'm in my pup outfit. That's his gear. That's his. That's his gear. That's yeah. his leather. You know, so I think that's the part that we need to be a little bit more understanding. Well, that's a really interesting perspective, Frank. And I want to thank you for sharing that. I do have one more question to ask of you. And this is kind of a selfish um, question of mine. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I think everyone will benefit from it. So Los Angeles Leather Competition is coming up. Uh-huh. And... I wonder if you have any words of advice for us LEL brothers going into the competition. What what are you looking for, you know, in the future leaders of this community? Be yourself. Don't be someone you're not, because the judges will be able to tell. People will be able to tell. I mean, I remember one year, oh, this guy who is totally not what he was like in general, changed and he was total phony Hmm. i remember my year i was told by someone you're not outgoing you're not friendly why are you running and oh yeah and it was a judge what the heck and i went home and told my husband and told scott i was gonna not run for the contest and then my husband said you are running for it you're not giving up something that you want, even if you don't win. Yeah. The next day at off sunset, this judge apologized to me. Hmm. 
and said, I was totally wrong about you. Unfortunately, Scott did he, that he apologized and Scott ripped them apart. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and I think be yourself, be who you are. You know, if you're a contestant and you like to dress up in female clothes, hey, you know what? Even though it's not, you might not get points for it, but that's who you are. Yeah. Be yourself. Don't be, you know, oh, I have to be this person and I have to do it this way. I mean, at the end of the day, they're going to pick you to to be the person you represent on stage. And if you can't be that person 24-7 or, you know, if you can't be that person during your title year, then, like, don't represent that, right? Right. And I think also, you know, we tell this, we have boot camp coming up and we all tell this at boot camp. Your facial expression tells it all because... When I won Mr. Leatherbear, the person who did not win and did not place, uh-huh. his look was like, oh, you fucking assholes. Oh and <laughs> it shows in every picture. Do you think he was just trying to be hard? Like, oh, he was pissed that he didn't win. Oh, I see. Okay. He said, I was a fat old man. Why would I win? <gasps> and oh he said God. that. Trust me. But the thing is, be you have to be, you know, even if you're kill, it's killing you that you didn't win. When they take those pictures, smile, you know, even <laughs> if you see, especially if you're first runner up, I hope the motherfucker falls and breaks his leg and I take over, you know, but just smile. Say it through your teeth with your mouth open. Because <laughs> your, your, your comments will last forever. Yeah. And I say that with everyone. Do it, be who you want, do what you want. But make sure you're willing to live with that forever. Hmm. Frank, before we go, can we talk a little bit about some of the organizations and things you're part of and things you're doing? <laughs> I mean, my life without my life. Oh, let me see. <laughs> I'm I'm a member of the Los Angeles Leather Coalition. I'm the treasurer. Mm-hmm. So I do all the finances for LA Cares and also for Los Angeles Leather Coalition. I'm a member of the Band of Brothers, the Los Angeles Band of Brothers, which I am the treasurer and now acting vice president of it. And basically that group is a fraternal organization of men who competed for Los Angeles Leather Contests. The only way you can become a member of that is you step foot on that stage in March, you become a member automatically. Got it. And you know, and then I do well, I have my THR production with Scott Matier. We do events, we do some charity work for Mama. Um that's it, I think, right now. All right, awesome. Do you have any uh, events that we should be looking out for this coming year? Well, tomorrow well, Tomorrow's no good. We, we, we've got Pleasure Pains coming up this year. We have Pleasure Pain coming. Um, we do that every three months at the Board Bar in okay. February 18th or 19th. I'm not sure what day it is. It's a Saturday. Okay. February 19th, we do um, Broke Bear Mountain at Eagle. Uh, okay. Look at it. Look for us on um, Facebook at THR Production. Welcome to come. Oh, I thought that was the name of the event. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome oh. to come. I'm going to make that event, actually. <laughs> Thanks for the idea. No, that's it. <laughs> well, I want to thank you again, Sir Frank, for coming on the show. 
Any last words for our audience before we head out? Be healthy, safe, and protect yourself and enjoy life. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Sir Frank, for coming on the show. As always, guys, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Brandon Bullet LA. Thanks again for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky.